Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at bkcwest.com. We've been going through a series in Genesis we call Origins, and we're walking through God's plan played out. Like today we took communion, we see the the result of God's plan to make things right between people and God. But as we look back, we see him developing this foundation through people. And we're right in the midst of him choosing Abraham and his family. And today, I want us to look at one of the hardest things in life. It is actually, it's very difficult, no matter how skilled you are. This is one of the hardest things. No matter how distracted or undistracted you are, this thing is very difficult. And uh, it made me think of this because I was up in Story City, Iowa this week. Anybody ever been to Story City, Iowa? A couple people, yeah, okay. I mean, what a cool name. I mean, why wouldn't you want to live in Story City? Um, and so, and you're like, lots of reasons, you know, but, but just, um, but, but what a great name, just a story, right? So there was a vineyard men's retreat. And so uh, a bunch of different uh, vineyard churches had a men's retreat together. So a few of us from, from here went up there and uh, one of the activities that they had for Friday was to play golf. And I haven't played forever. I, I live you know, I don't know, half a mile from Drub's Dread Hill up here. And I just, I, I, I hardly ever get there. And, and um, in four years, I haven't gotten there actually. I've only played at one other course here. So um, it's just, haven't taken the time. And so I said, Friday, I'm playing golf. So it was perfect weather. It was 50 degrees and raining and, and just, just, you know, right up there. And, but I said, I'm going to do it. So there was, there was 12 other guys. And so I left the conference center late. And uh, so I called the guy that was organizing. I said, Hey, I'm late. Can I still play? And he says, he says, he says, he says, absolutely. Uh, by the time you get here, we would have all teed off, grab a cart and go for it. All right. So I was the odd man out. I'm, you know, I'm sitting there just like I'm number 13. Everybody else has a partner. And so, uh, I get there though. And, and I, I call Michelle and I'm like, nobody wants to play with me, you know? And, you know, and, and so on the way, she's like, and so I hang up, I know she's praying, Lord bless my husband. So I pull up and, and there's three pastors, uh, vineyard pastors from other churches. I see there and, and two together, I see them first. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm odd, you know, but then I see another, I see Greg from Innova Vineyard in Wichita. And he's like, Hey, do you have clubs? I'm like, I do. I, he goes, I need clubs. I'm like, well, I need somebody to play with. So, uh, we, so we played together. And uh, all of that to say, like something God had spoken to me at the beginning of the week as we got up there, was just like, Cody, you don't need to do anything. I was just like, you know what, Lord, what a, what a nice, cool thing for you to put that together, even though I was late. But all that to say, when we're talking about hard things, golf is a hard thing, you know, because once I got there, I'm like, oh no, these guys are probably good, you know, and I haven't played in a while. And then so sure enough, you know, Troy from, from Davenport, Iowa, he gets up there, pastor, he just rips the ball and then everybody, you know, and then, it, but, but then as we went on, I realized like, no, we're all kind of in the same boat, you know, some good shots, some bad shots, but, but there's really hard things in life. I would say that playing golf is a hard thing in life. It's, it's, it reveals a lot about you and it's difficult to master. And I've been playing since I was 11. I don't play consistently enough, but it, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. Uh, you know, but it's not necessarily meaningful or significant. Uh, you know, if you're going to make your, uh, your career or provide for your family that way, that's meaningful or significant for you. But I don't know that being good at golf and mastering that 
really is going to change everything in life. It's a skill that's good. Um, dancing, okay? I, dancing is something I, I've always, I, dancing the rhythm, I just, I, I, I can work hard and, you know, but uh, it's, it's not good. You know, it, dancing is tough. Um, but there's some things in life that are hard and they're meaningful and they're significant. So for instance, like changing habits, right? There's a habit maybe in my life that is unhealthy for me. And so me changing that or you changing the habit in your life that is unhealthy, that is hard, but it's also meaningful and significant. Uh, mending broken relationships in our lives, that's something that is hard, but it's significant. It's worth it. Uh, things like learning to listen, right? Uh, being a good listener, that's hard, but it's meaningful and significant. Today, what we're talking about as we look through these three chapters of, of Genesis, as we look at Isaac, Esau, and Jacob, we see that what they struggle with and what you and I struggle with is living in the here and now. Living right in the space that I'm at and in the time that I'm at. That is one of the most difficult and meaningful and significant things that we can learn to do in life. Because the temptation and the tendency is, is to either live in the past or, or, is, or is to be so focused on the future that I don't enjoy or sit down into what is right now. And so there's a significance of the here and now. You see, our choices and God's presence are the biggest things within that when it comes to the here and now, our choices and God's presence. So choices can compound the pain of the past and, and, and recalibrate our lives so that we, we get off course if we make choices that are focused that way. Or choices can actually break the chains of the past and set us into a course of freedom for the future if we make those choices in the here and now. And then when you think of God's presence in the here of now, I mean, that changes everything, doesn't it? Just moments where you sense his presence. The troubles, the, the worries, the fears, the shame, you know, fades away when his presence is there. And so in our chapters, Genesis 26 through 28, the mantle of the promised blessing of God has now been passed from Abraham to Isaac. And then we see it today passed to Jacob. And if you've been following along or if you've looked at Genesis, the author repeats these rhythms of the book all the way from the Garden of Eden all throughout and keeps reminding us of the rhythms, the faithfulness of God, the waywardness of people, and then the grace of God time and time again. And today we see that as well. We see history repeat itself. So Genesis chapter 26, verse one is where we're gonna start. And we see that there's pressure put upon Isaac. And in that pressure, he relies upon himself instead of God, even though God brings his promise. So it says in verse one of 26 of Genesis, a severe famine now struck the land as it happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. 
live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give you all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the sands of the or stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, she is my sister. He was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought they will kill me to get her because she is so beautiful. All right, so Isaac responded to the pressure of famine by moving in a direction of Egypt. And so God intervenes and he says, hey, I don't want you to go to Egypt. This is the promise that I gave to your father and now I'm giving that promise to you. And it's really the reestablishing of Eden. Every time that God comes again to one of these patriarchs, he's reestablishing Eden. He's saying, I'm here with you. This is what I've asked you to do. This is what I'm going to do. And so it's a reestablishing of commitment, of covenant, of, of family. And so what he promises differently, though, with Abraham, Abraham, he said, I'm going to do all of this. But with Isaac, he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. My presence will be with you. And he says that he will bless him, which is God taking of his stuff and giving his stuff to Isaac and his family. But then he says, basically, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. All throughout the promise, even the promise all the way back in the garden, it's always been about, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. So the, the tension, if there is one right now, is will Isaac be a blessing to other people? Will he let what God pours into him flow out to other people, or will he be just one that takes in but doesn't give out? That's the tension. So what Isaac does, God says, don't go to Egypt. So Isaac stays, but he relies upon himself. He's independent instead of dependent upon God. He, said, he, he does, and it's the re repetition of just like the tree. It's the repeating of, instead of referencing God, I'm going to reference of what I think is good and evil. And then we have trouble happen again. And uh, we answer the question right away. No, Isaac is going to treat the nations poorly. Because Abimelech, it's a different king than who Abraham came across. He represents the nations. He represents that which God has blessed to be a blessing to. Instead, he deceives, just like Abraham did too. And so he deceives them. But Abimelech is actually more honorable. That's a theme throughout Genesis too. He's more honorable, actually, than the one that's actually called. And so he's a prophet to the one that is really, uh, you know, hearing from God there. And so Abimelech says, hey, what are you doing? Why are you deceiving us this way? Nobody touched this man's wife. It's his wife. You know? And he actually walks through it. He actually looks down and he sees them together. And he's like, that's your wife, not your sister. You know, oh, the deception that we, that we see here. And so what God does is um, the Lord blesses Isaac. In, in, in the following verses in chapter 26, it says that he harvests 100 times more grain than he planted. 
You know, can you believe that out here that, you know, uh, it's a system out here. Right here, we have a cornfield. They plant one year and they have soybeans. They plant one year. Can you imagine if they got a hundred times more than what they put in? Just, I mean, that's what Isaac's going through. It says that he became very wealthy and he made the Philistines jealous. In other words, the people in the land, even though all the land would be there as God promised, they were jealous of them. Again, a repeating theme that Abraham had as well. And, uh, there's shepherd, they start to fight over wells and, 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 and then the, the surrounding people, they fill in the wells that they're getting water from. And so they have to keep moving on, keep moving on, keep moving on. But then finally they go back to the land where Abraham was, where he, he dug wells. And so Isaac's there and they, they finally open the wells that he had that were, uh, you know, uh, filled in before. And then this Abimelech, you know, king that kicked Isaac and the people out, he comes to him and he says, hey, Listen, I want to make a covenant with you. God is with you. I just see God's presence with you, and I, I want to make a covenant. You know, you be kind to us. Will you bless us? And so, so Isaac responds in that way. Uh, he responds, and he, he, he blesses him. And uh, he, then he starts to do what God called him to do. Uh, he, he actually poured out some of the blessing that he had been given. And it poses the question to us, why does God bless us? You know, when, uh, I mean, he blesses, he pours, his, he pours his, his rain and his blessing upon the just and the unjust. I mean, when, when I became a Christian, like when people would share testimonies, it was basically like, hey, my life was terrible, horrible. God wasn't doing anything around, but then all of a sudden I prayed this prayer and then now God's involved in my life. And it's just not true. God is like all the way, like from beginning of birth, all throughout your life. And it doesn't matter how ugly it is before you met Jesus. He's working in your life then. He's moving in your life then. It's absolutely a part of the story. And so what we see here is, is, is we see, um, you know, this life that, that God is pouring into Isaac. And um, he's going to be a blessing now. Like he recognizes, I've been given so much and I'm going to bless. And so um, it's a question for us. Like, you know, like when God blesses me, how do I view it? Like, am I a vacuum? And I, everything, all the blessings that God gives me and it goes into my container, you know, I just dump it out or, or am I a distribution system? What is God's intent? You know, so uh, he's doing things all the time in my life. Like my whole life is a blessing. Everything I have is from him and for him. And, and he's given me everything that I have, all of my provision, all my things. And, and he will say, well, no, I work hard, Cody. Well, I do too. But even the ability to work hard, he's given us. The very breath in our lungs, he's given us. And so everything that we have is from him. And so we have to ask ourselves, why does God bless us? Well, I think I would say, First, that God loves us. He's a good father. He loves to give to us. He loves to be affectionate to us. He loves to surprise us. He loves to do things that are pleasing to us, like me at the golf course the other day. Totally unexpected. Let me just do this way beyond what you think, Cody. But then he also blesses us to be a blessing. And the interesting thing is that if we keep taking the blessing of God, but we don't bless others, we will repeat a cycle and it will seem like we never have enough. 
whether it's finances or whether it's abilities or whether it's uh, growth of a company or whether, if we don't pour out the blessings to others, we will feel like we never have enough. And when you give, whether it's your, any of your resources, your time, your energy, your talents, your gifts, your, your finances, when you give to others and you pour them out, here's, and it's not a secret, but it's a key, is that as you flow out, more comes. You, as you pour out, if, if, it, if you're trying to receive from God and you're just like, okay, okay, I got it, I'm okay. And then at some point, I'm going to bless, or at some point I'm going to give, or at some point I'm going to serve, or at some point I'm going to do that. Or when I get to this point, I'm going to be okay. And then when I'm okay here, then I'm going to do it. You'll never get there. Because all the studies show that we spend our resources or we treat our finances or we treat the things that we have at the same level because it's a habit. So if I make $1,000 a month, I'm typically going to spend that $1,000 or treat that $1,000 the same way that I'm going to spend $100,000. But in our minds, we say, or if I have more time in my life, unless I'm intentional and I say that my time is just not for myself, it doesn't matter whether I have all the time in the world or I have very short time, it's how I decide I'm going to use that that makes all the difference. And Isaac comes to the decision that I've been blessed to be a blessing. And so that's the choice in the here and now. He's not living in the past and saying, hey, these things happened to me, so I'm going to circle the wagons. I'm not going to do anything. Because the things we're talking about is being vulnerable. It's putting yourself out there. And really what it's doing is experiencing God as your provider for all the things that you need. That's the greatest freedom that there is. And when we, we bless others, we actually break not only our own chains, but we break the chains of other people's in their, in, in their lives. And so when will we be a blessing? When will we let all that blesses? A real tangible thing is when you get something that's a surprise, like it, whatever it is, whether it's time, whether it's a resource, whether it's money, Start to ask, what have you given this time to me? What have you given this talent to me? What have you given this money to me for, Lord? Don't just consume it. Is there someone else that needs my time? Is there someone else that needs my talent? Is there someone else that needs part of this money? And you start to say, say, wait a minute, that's sacrifice. That's the sweet spot of following Jesus is sacrifice. You'll be more blessed than you ever imagined if you put yourself in a place and you'll have more of the things of God if you put yourself in that place where you receive more and you can give more away. And that's where Isaac has put himself. But in the midst of all of this, he's learning to give, he's learning to bless. God's with him. But he doesn't, I don't know that he really has God's heart. Like God's heart is for him. But I don't know that he's giving his heart to the Lord. And I don't know that he's really seeking after God's heart. And I don't really know that he's seeking after his son's hearts or his wife's heart. 
He's so blessed, but he's just kind of going through things. And that's the life that we want. Like my sons, like they work hard. My dad taught me to work hard. But if we go through life and, 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 and they just know how to work hard and I say, my sons know how to work hard. No, I want their hearts. And I want them to want my heart and have my heart. And sometimes I'm good at it every once in a while. But it's little moments that do that. And with Isaac, we see that that's not what is happening. In chapter 27, we see reminiscent of what God told Rebekah, Isaac's wife, in chapter 25. It says, And the Lord told her, The sons in your womb will become two nations. So Jacob and Esau. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. And it's like, which comes first, the chicken and the egg? You know, you know, like, did they cause the situation or was it preordained? I don't know, but it, their family was a mess. They had all this blessing, they had all this stuff, and yet they didn't take the time to have each other's hearts. Because Isaac preferred Esau and Rebekah preferred Jacob. And so they were fighting, they weren't unified, they, they, they worked against each other. And so what happens is, is, is Isaac is old and his, his eyesight's going. And so he says, I need to put this promise blessing, the blessing that I got from my father and God has given me, and I need to now give it to Esau because he's the oldest. But remember, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob before. And also God says the, the, the older will serve the younger. So, so, so Isaac says, look, go, go hunt and make some stew for me. Bring it from the field. And, and Esau you know, goes out and does that. But Rebecca's listening. She's, she's listening in and she says to Jacob, she says, your father is trying to bless Esau, but that's your blessing. I want you to have it. So, I mean, it, it's like, read it. We're not going to read through all the details, but it, it's like a scene out of a, a, just a, a comedy and, and just, it's, it's weird. She dresses him up and she puts goat skin on him because Esau's really hairy. And, and Jacob is not. And Esau is a person of the, the land. He hunts and things. And so, and Jacob is not. And so she dresses him up and puts, you know, goat skin all the way up to his neck and all over and puts Esau's clothes on Jacob. And, and she makes this stew and he goes in and he's like, you know, you feel like my son Esau, but you, you sound like my son Jacob. Is it really you, Esau? And he lies. It's like, yes, father, it's Esau. And he even comes, he goes, come and kiss me. And he comes close and he, he feels the hairy, you know, stuff close on him and he smells him. He goes, okay, it's you. And so he blesses him. He gives him the blessing that, that God gave from the beginning that would bless the whole earth. But then Esau comes in from the field and he's got it. And he, and he says, father, here's the stew that I've made for you. And, and he says, wait a minute. No, I already blessed you. And all of a sudden, dun, 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 dun. Something's happened. So Esau is angry and he's like, don't you have another blessing for me, father? And the, the scene, you know, it, it's, it, it kind of wrecks you a little bit. Do, do you only have one blessing, father? And maybe he only had that one blessing of that, but he, again, they weren't going after each other's hearts. And so it was just this ugly scene. And so, you have echoes of, of Cain and Abel, the first two brothers, where Cain was angry and he had murder in his heart and he murdered his brother. 
But now you have Esau getting anger in his heart and he's seeking to murder Jacob. But again, Rebecca's listening and she tells Jacob, look, you've got to go to, to my family and go find a wife there and hide. Or otherwise, Esau is going to kill you. And so the choices we're making in the here and now are significant, right? You know, we may be making choices, and maybe it's a combination. We may be choices today, making choices, and we, we're, we're, con- like we're cognizant of those choices, but we're juggling. We're spinning plates, we're juggling, we're making excuses for things, and we're just kind of like, I can just keep doing this thing. I can just keep moving this thing. I can do, you know, yes, I know this isn't good, but this, and, and, um, and then, but, but God's going to do it, right? But God has given us incredible responsibility. He's given us incredible significance in, in a way to think in a mind. I, one of my friends, uh, the fa- a family that really helped me come and know Jesus, uh, uh, you know, she would always tell us when we go out, use your minds. God's given you a mind. Use it. You, use your brain, you know, over and over again. And so we can just, you know, wipe away. Well, I know I'm doing this and I know that it's not healthy and I know I'm doing this thing and I know it's damaging me. I know I'm doing this thing and it's leading me down the wrong path and I know I'm doing this and I know it, but you know, it's, it's okay because, I, you know, we, ju- we justify it. We, you know, and we live our life that way and, and we get anxious, we get fearful. We feel far from our family. We feel far from God. The choices in the here and now are significant. And ultimately, it ends up being a tsunami that overtakes us. Like, that's what Isaac is experiencing. You know, sometimes we can think, well, gosh, I mean, I, I mean I'm taken care of. Things seem to be going good. I've got stuff. And so I must be good with God. But we see, actually, that you can have everything check off the list, the American dream. And yet, if your heart is far from God and far from the people that are there, then are things really healthy? Eventually, things can fall apart. You know, or we can have a surrendering posture, a sacrificing posture, a humble posture that is actually making choices that are actually choices to have God's heart, to have other people's hearts, to to actually live in that way. And what it does too is it builds actually a tsunami that overtakes us in the other way, that there's blessing for us and those that we love. And it's simply the principle of compounding, right? Right? Compounding interest. It's not just not for finances. We can have compounding interest in our health. You know, if I go eat a gallon of ice cream, you know, in, in half a cow once, I'm just going to feel a little full, a little food coma. But if I do that every day, consistently over a period of time, things are going to happen. Cody, there's looking like there's more of you. (laughs) Right? And go to the doctor. Your numbers aren't good. And over time, so it doesn't happen right away. But over time, compounding, something's going to happen. In the same way, too, that if I, you know, if I walk or I run or exercise and I do that, you know, I'm I'm not going to all of a sudden look in the mirror and all of a sudden be like, all right, look at me, I'm ripped. You know, after one time. But if I do that every day, you know, over and over, it's just like, hey, something's happening here. And so it is with the choices that we make, too. So we fast forward to Rebecca tells Jacob, 
you know, I want you to go to my family, find a wife there, hide from your brother. You know, nice family dynamics here. And then she even tells Isaac, you know, Jacob can go get a wife amongst my family. Let's not have him marry a Canaanite woman. And in the midst of it, Esau catches wind of it, and he's like, oh, they don't like Canaanite women. So he goes and marries, you remember Ishmael? Isaac's brother, the, and you know, he goes and marries an offspring of Ishmael. And so he marries a Canaanite woman just to annoy his parents. But in the midst of it, you've got Jacob who, from birth, they call him heel catcher. That's his name, that he was, he was trying to grab things and striving after things and take things and, and be self-reliant and just go get things himself rather than depending upon God from the beginning. He, he's a liar through and through. He's a deceiver. And yet he's on a journey to this place. And that's where we pick him up in verse 10 of chapter 28. And it says, meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from heaven, from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather, Abraham, and the God of your father, Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and to the east, to the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. And so Jacob encounters God in the here and now. He's had some bad stuff happen to him. He desires some things in the future. But he, he finds out that God is right here. He's present with him right now. And God reveals himself to him. He tells him who he is. He tells him that this is your land. And he's looking around, all right. I mean, isn't that how God is? Isn't that how Jesus is? That when you encounter Jesus, like when you truly encounter the living God, And if you haven't had this experience, then I don't know that you encountered the living God. But when you encounter the living God, he has blessing for you. He has life for you. He doesn't have condemnation for you. He has blessing for you. I love you. I'm with you. I'm here for you. Be set free. You don't need to strive anymore. I have grace for you. I have mercy for you. Even though you have blank, I give you this and set you free. Isn't that what God is like? He tells him he'll have many descendants and he's just like trying to run from his brother, get away and and maybe he finds a wife. He says that his descendants will be a blessing and then be a blessing. So again, the tension is there again. Ah, God's blessing Jacob now. The mantle's being passed to the next generation, but Will he fulfill what God calls him to fulfill? 
He gives them presence and protection. I will be with you and no one will harm you. I will be with you as you go. And then he gives them a future in a follow through. He says, hey, you're going away, but I'm going to bring you back. It reminds us of Philippians 1.6 in, in the New Testament. The apostle Paul writes to the Philippian people. He says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I mean, haven't, haven't we all been there? I mean, you know, been at those places, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like he found a rock to lay his head on. Well, he's doing good. You know, Haven't we been in those places, not sure where things are headed, not feeling good about the past, but what we do is we meet God right in the presence. We encounter him. And the the language in the New Testament with encounter is always this face-to-face. That's actually what encounter means, is to come face-to-face with God. You know, it says that God spoke with Moses like one would speak to a friend face-to-face. And we look at that, well, it wasn't Moses special, but remember that Moses and then all these patriarchs here, God was building things up. He was building towards an ultimate end, a future, where all of these things that he's speaking to them, he's having to share it in this way because he's like, this is what I'm going to do. But for you and I, he's done it. And so as you look at these things that he's promising to Jacob, you can apply them to yourself. No, I'm not saying that all of the you know, Palestinian land and, and, you know, Israel and everything is yours. Not saying that. So don't go show up and, and ask for it. But what God is saying is he's saying to Jacob and he says it to you and I, he says, really, wherever you set your foot, God's given you that place. Because I want you to read what Jacob goes through because <clears throat> he wakes up, it says in verse 16 from his sleep, And said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. I mean, isn't that our everyday life? I mean, we think that God is hiding from us, but he is in every place. And wherever we're going, he's waiting for us there, and he's with us along the way, and he's where we're at now. God is surely in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. That's how we felt when we we moved out to Kansas City four years ago almost. I had just driven through here. Michelle, my wife, had never been here. But God started speaking to us about this place and speaking to us about moving here. And and then we we met some of the people here over over Zoom. And and, uh, and later on, they told me the internet connection was bad, so they couldn't even hear me. And I'm like, how did you invite us then? You know, like it was just all over the place, you know, and and then we end up here and we got here and it was what we found time and time again is in this area and in Kansas city is that we found that God is in this place. We just found it over and over again that God is in this place. And it's interesting. There's an area up here that actually is called Bethel, Bethel, the house of God. That's what we found is, is, that, is that God is in this place. And is this a special place? Is Kansas City a special place? Absolutely. But that's duplicated over the whole earth because the whole earth is his. 
And so Jacob wakes up and he says, he says, but he also was afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. So his surprise about this awesome place is your and I's surprise about an awesome place. And it's not this building. It's not any church building that you'll ever be in. It's you. See, the New Testament equivalent of this is that this would all lead up to this. You have all these special places where, where altars are set up and monuments are set up so that they worship there. But in, for you and I, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God centered all things in Jesus Christ. And so when someone trusts in Jesus Christ for salvation, they now become the Bethel. They now become the place that God is in. And so we look as New Testament people looking back and say, whoa, this place is awesome. And that place is you. You are the awesome place. You are the Bethel. And that's why wherever you go, God is there because he lives in you. And so in verse 18, it says, the next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it up right as a more, upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. So Jacob makes a switch from putting so much pressure on his past, putting so much pressure on his grandfather Abraham and putting so much pressure upon Isaac and putting so much pressure upon his brother Esau and putting so much pressure upon his mother Rebecca. All this pressure of how jacked up his life was and how things didn't go the way he wanted them to and how he lied and he stole and he strived from the beginning and how he got a bad deal and how things should have gone a different way and how he was a victim. He took all of that and he says, I will make the Lord, my God. That's what it means when we say the Lord is our God, is that, look, I'm actually putting all my future, all of my present, all of my past into this, and now I reference that instead of all of this stuff. He was moving away from self-reliance to dependence upon God. Moving away from manipulation and scheming to just like an open-armed and open-handed living. You know, the book of Galatians in the New Testament, Apostle Paul writes, he says, uh, chapter six, he says, God will not be mocked. A person will receive or reap what they sow. In the language, the original is, is actually, they will reap only what they sow. And you Bible scholars, I know in John, it says that I'm sending you to a place to reap where you have not sown. That's something different. 
But these, it's speaking of that compounding. It's speaking of these choices. It's speaking of these things. It's speaking of, do we live in the hurt of our past or do we live just in the hope of the future or do we live in the right now? To be present with God, to be present with others. That's where a good life is built. Now, the key to all of this is encountering God now. That I make that my my Monday, my Tuesday, my Wednesday, my Thursday, my Friday, my Saturday, and even my Sunday. That today I want to come face to face with God. Because surely he is in this place. And it's an awesome place. And he's with me. The significance of the here and now. The choices I make. And God's presence. How can it be that he's that close? How can he be that he's that awesome? That he's that big? That all that is, he created. And yet he has come and he dwells in me. The very life of God lives in me, lives in you. How should we live then? Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com. 